Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting great 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. It is dreary on this Friday morning in Lincoln, um, but my day is about to get a little better because joining me for this podcast is Greg Smith. Greg, how are you? Uh, I am very well. Uh, I, I'm also in dreary Lincoln, so it, it's not great out there. Like, and I don't think it's supposed to get any better the rest of the day, so we're going to have to push through this one. It's been raining off and on for like the last, I, I feel like most of this week, I feel like. I think I've gone for a walk like once or twice, but I was early in the week. Um, we, we have transitioned to Seattle weather. It's that time of year. Yeah, we definitely have. And it, like the week before that was mostly like that, too. Um, so I, I generally like Seattle weather and I do kind of like this kind of weather. Um, I, it just needs to be just like a touch warmer um, and not so consistent. It's about to get a little brighter, though, at least the outlook, because uh, football players are coming back. You had in Big Red Recon this morning that most of Nebraska's returning players are back in Lincoln. Um, the NCAA is allowing men's football, well, not men's, men's football, men's basketball, and women's basketball to resume voluntary team activities from June 1 to June 30. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong, is that something that they're voting on or is that something that's already been approved? So it's a little wonky because what we've discovered through all of this is that the NCAA has power on some things and conferences have power on other things, right? Um, the NCAA right. in this case is able to say we're not going to have a blanket ban on everybody, but it's still up to the individual conferences to decide when that date is actually going to be. So you've seen, for example, in the SEC, where they've kind of openly talked about um, June 1 being the day. Um, you've seen a lot of stuff from Gene Smith at Ohio State uh, mentioning June 8th. Um, so I expect both of those conferences to kind of lead the way on this, uh, the Big Ten and the SEC, and then kind of move from there, where sometime in early June, we end up seeing um, the quote-unquote voluntary workouts uh, resume around the country. If they start on June 8th, the, the date that, like you said, Gene Smith is thrown around is the date that the SEC is kind of tossed around, or June 1 for that matter, how does that compare to when they would normally begin some of these voluntary team activities? How does that compare to when they would normally have the bulk of their team back on campus? Yeah, so in Nebraska's case, they would probably lose a couple of weeks just because under Scott Frost, they've actually come back basically as early as you possibly can um, because it usually kind of lines up with the pre-session of summer school, which is – which 
I guess is going on just online um, and has been for a couple of weeks now. So Nebraska usually tries to get their people in um, around this time and then they kind of get acclimated and then they start workouts usually early June. Um, so it's still in the same time frame, but it's not it is going to be a little bit later. Um, and I think part of why you need to, like I guess need to if, if you're the coaches uh, anywhere, you would probably prefer that June one date while it may not seem a lo- like a lot of difference there's going to also have to be some ramp up time when it comes to making sure you have everyone back in Lincoln then making sure you also have um, all of your incoming freshmen and Juco players um, that are ready to go uh, on campus as well I think I don't know that all of those guys are coming back at the same time I think there's going to have to be maybe a week gap then between when the newcomers come um, after the returning players also there's going to be like a a stretch of time that they're going to need to kind of get their bearings or maybe um reset the field a little bit and try to see where everybody's at test um i guess football readiness football um what's the word i'm looking for like their 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 fitness level like trying to gauge where their team is i feel like that's something that could potentially like you might need a week to just try to figure out where your team is at from a fitness standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think that, I think that if a a smart strength and conditioning staff will do that, I can't imagine that they're just going to jump right back into whatever Zach Duvall would have had them doing normally had they had spring football. Yeah. There's definitely going to have to be um, some level of testing just because you want to kind of gauge where guys are, how you need to ramp them up with the way that Nebraska does their strength and conditioning uh, specifically. um, And they have it so individualized anyway, I, I can't imagine they would not have a really strong program around that in place it's really interesting to see like the dichotomy between um pro sports restarting and college football specifically trying to get back to some semblance of normal because like the pro sports obviously all have unions and players unions and um you know those those players are able to have a voice and have a seat at the table and in, in college athletics there's no voice for the players and i know that that's kind of the structure that's always been and but it, it is interesting um that you know you see you hear stories of guys like lebron james like we were just talking about this off pod uh yesterday lebron james holding like private workouts with one or two players at a time and um the players really kind of fighting for their right to be able to to stay in some form of shape and then you you look at college athletics and these guys have really kind of been They've been left out of decision making. They haven't been allowed to kind of um, chart their own path forward. And now they're kind of just being being pulled along by decision makers. It's like there's not really a say of, um, you know, when when they want to play or when they want to come back or how comfortable they are playing or, or anything like that. Um, I guess we can get into a conversation about, you know, how you feel about a return to play scenario or the models that are being discussed. We had a a question in our mailbag this week that I thought was really good. And I want to, I want to spend some time on it here with you. Let me pull this up. It was from uh, city to city Lyle on Twitter. Would you prefer to have the football season start at the regular time in the fall? If it meant only a partial schedule and some conferences not playing, or would you wait for February or spring? If it meant all schools would be playing, um, you did not answer this one. I did, so I'm gonna let you go first. 
All right. I appreciate that. Um, I, man, you know, my first gut reaction was is to pick the first one. Um, but the big caveat in that that he smartly threw in was some conferences not playing. I don't know if I would want that, um, even though we get and it's funny, like us just based on our jobs and the team that we cover, we get so locked into the Big Ten and what's happening there versus, you know, what's happening, say, in the ACC and the ins and outs of all of that. So I don't know how much our day to day would change. I just think it would be weird around the country and there'd be all sorts of issues Um about, I guess, fairness, and then, like, there would also be recruiting implications to that. So I think it would just be too odd to not have some conferences playing um, if I had to pick. So I guess I would pick starting the season late um, to then end up making sure that everyone got to play because I, I just I'm in favor of all scenarios where where everyone kind of gets to play and gets to play their season out. And I just think it would be too, it would be logistically too difficult any either way um, or without or it would be logistically difficult to not have some conferences playing because then you're also going to have to reschedule games that are those crossover games or those big non-con games. Um, so, yeah, I would go with starting the season late if everyone got to play. Do you think it's a possibility that not every major conference is playing? I don't think so. I I, I can't see a situation in which we get that. Um, But you're also going to have to figure out kind of what to do um, about certain areas of the country. And it doesn't come up like it it comes up some like so Florida, for example, has had a lot of cases um, and they've been kind of in the news for like what their governor has been doing. But at the same time, Florida also seems like they're going to just be full steam ahead, whereas New York has been a little bit more hesitant. But there are not as many like major college football playing schools out that way. Right. So it's it's just going to be that part of it is really unique. But I think the conferences are going to have to come to consensus to say we're all going to try this. I don't think that it's very likely that you end up having like the Pac-12 not playing. Um, I think it's more likely that you have conference only schedule across the country than you would have some schools playing and some schools not. If it was a conference-only schedule, and that was something that John Cook talked a little bit about on, uh, what was it, the podcast that he did with his daughter for for Husker Sports. They shared a snippet of it Thursday night, and Cook was talking about maybe like um, Creighton and UNO would be non-conference games for them, but the bulk of the schedule would be conference games. I, I really wonder if we go down that path, what that does to the non-Power 5 programs, because you talk about, you know, like let's say Nebraska doesn't play South Dakota State this year. That game gets taken off the schedule, and it's either replaced with something else or they just play an abbreviated season. Like South Dakota State was, I I can imagine, relying on that paycheck because (laughs) those pay-for-play games for the smaller smaller schools, that's a big portion of their revenue for for a season. And, and if you take that away, like, I think we're getting to a point where the power, at least at the power five level, everybody's like, we just have to play, assume some of this risk is going to happen. People are going to get sick. We're probably going to lose some money, but we just have to play and, and stop the bleeding, so to speak, get through this season and then kind of regroup next year. But for the the smaller schools and the schools that, you know, they'd have big non-conference games taken out their schedule that could potentially be really damaging 
Yeah, it absolutely would be really damaging. But I wonder if, and then me being cold, I wonder how much that Power Five commissioners and ADs would weigh that or care about that, given the option of, okay, it can be safer and I can ensure you that you're going to get all of your conference games in and then get your conference championship games in. If I can ensure that, but say you have to take away these non-con games, would you do it? I wonder if they wouldn't take that option just for the guarantee, um, even if it was at the expense of those smaller schools. And then maybe maybe you try to find a way to make it up to them on the back end. Um, but I wonder, consider Considering oh, like all of the power five schools are the ones that are, you know, in the running for the playoff, essentially, I wonder if they wouldn't just band together in that scenario and say, we're just going to go conference only. Yeah, I could see that 100 percent. And then, you know, you you have taken the, the non-conference like I know this is not important, but then you've taken the non-conference um, out of the equation when it comes to deciding playoff teams and deciding rankings and things like that. And you have a little bit more of a level playing field. With that respect, it might be a little easier down the line. Um, I, I wonder what coaches would think about an abbreviated season, about a nine-game season or an eight-game season. And I wonder if, you know, the loss of spring ball factors into their thinking at all. Because maybe that's the the compromise here. And they lost all of those practices, and every coach that you talk to will tell you how important those spring ball practices are. They lost all of that prep time and all of that evaluation time. Maybe playing fewer games this season is the compromise, and maybe that that kind of offsets the damage, so to speak. Yeah, it it definitely could. Um, I I would be curious, too. Like, it also would kind of depend, too, on what you do with that extra time. So essentially that extra month – worth of games even though nebraska starts with purdue um but that extra month worth of games like what can you do with that time like do you just does that behave do you treat that like your normal september practice time where they can only they only have so many hours um to be able to go like there'd be a lot of things to discuss with that because i would guess that as coaches you know obviously want and and nebraska has talked about this bill moose has about wanting those spring practices back i still don't know how they're going to do that logistically but they would also want maybe additional practice time in exchange for not playing those games like those discussions would be really interesting it sounds like the model across the board is becoming bring kids back in August, have in-person classes through Thanksgiving, and then send everyone home. What do you think that does to football? Like if, if there is an abbreviated season for teams that aren't like Nebraska and aren't playing a, a conference opponent in week one, do you think that it just shrinks the calendar schedule? And maybe they're done before Thanksgiving and we kind of just redo. God, that would be a logistical nightmare because I'm sure everybody has like plans already booked and trips already booked. Do you think they would just redo the schedule or do you think like having a a month gap for Nebraska specifically from September 6th to October 2nd where you don't play a single football game? Do you think that's something that anybody's going to be on board with? Man, that's a great question because I don't. I can't imagine that they'd want to take basically a month break in there 
Yeah, that would be, it would be, it would just be a little bizarre to think about, but you also like, it's very difficult to start moving these schedules and, and rearranging stuff at this point in time, like to be able to make all of those travel arrangements and all of that. Um, but then again, if you could take that time and have extra practice, maybe they would be on board with that. Um, maybe you just switch that. Maybe you, you switch that one Purdue game. You just switch that um, to like the end of September. So that basically you start your season later um, and just use that practice time. I, I can't imagine you just have some big gap um, within the schedule. But still, at this point, I think it's more likely than not that they just try to play the schedules as is. I don't know that it would actually be that bad of a situation now that I'm thinking about it. You know, every coach talks about how you you improve the most from game one to game two. Well, what happens if you have game one and then you have a month to pour over that <laughs> film and to really get better in the areas where you struggled? Would that yeah. necessarily be such a bad thing? Maybe not. Maybe maybe. I'm looking at the wrong way. Maybe not. Cause I can see that too. Cause it's kind of like, if you have like your last game of, of the regular season or conference championship, and then you have your bowl game, um, yeah. where you have that gap, uh, to kind of get better and look at things. Maybe not, maybe not. And maybe you could also find a way, um, because I'm always going to think about it this way. Maybe you also find a way to use, still use that time for recruiting where you could still host guys on campus, uh, because they would have been going to campuses anyway, um, during that time. So maybe, Maybe there's a way to make that part work. It would, uh, man, there are a bunch of ripple effects to this because yeah. if you take if you take three games off the schedule, do you still need six to go to a bowl game? If you take three non-conference games off Nebraska's schedule, and you still need six to go to a bowl game, I don't know that they're going to a bowl game in 2020. Yeah, making them have to win six conference games, six out of what nine? Um, yeah. Man, yeah, six and three in conference play is tough. <laughs> like for where they are right now, um, you would probably have to. You would have to change that, right? Like you'd have to lower the bowl eligibility cap. But even that, but like even thinking about that sounds weird, right? Like, hey, if you win, you know, four games, you get to go to a bowl. Like that just it, it all feels weird. But we are in uh, weird times where I think major adjustments are at least going to have to be considered for for this upcoming season. Yeah, we would be because it, it's easy to to set a midway point at twelve. It's not easy to set a midway point at nine because you you would have to say four and four and five gets you in, and that's man. Like I know like five and seven bizarre. teams can. Yeah, I know five and seven teams can get in now with a high enough APR score, but four and five across the board, and then maybe like three and six if there aren't enough four and five teams. I don't know. <laughs> right. That'd be. I feel like, you know, my brother and I were talking about this the other day, and he was talking about how we don't need any more Cal, TCU, eight interception bowl games. And as long as we can get the major bowl games in and the New Year's six bowl games in, I think that's fine. But even then, if you're canceling out bowl games, you'll some of those schools that are getting big payouts from bowls are losing that revenue too in a time where you are also hemorrhaging money as a university. I don't know that they're going to want to do too many things that are going to cut revenue streams from athletic departments it's a good thing that this happened in march and they had from march through july to uh like problem solve 
Yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise it, you would be, and this is why, why like we talked referenced the NBA earlier, why like they're in such a tough spot trying to basically do this on the fly, you know, having pause, you know, two thirds of the way through a season. Um, and why in like a different, some of them are in a different situation, like MLB um, in the situation that they were in, like they're all just kind of unique situations. But college football, I feel like it is in one of the better situations just from a, a time to prep, plan, run through scenarios um, line of thinking. Yeah, it was kind of like the best bad scenario because they have an abundance of time to just contingency plan. And they need it because there's so much, so many moving parts, because one of the things that you just realized through all of this is that college football is so, it's so interconnected, but also so governed independently at the same time. Like, it's just a weird set of circumstances that make up, like, the world of college football. So the reason I brought up um, kind of player well-being earlier and players not having a union in college football. I think one of the things that gets glossed over when we talk about pushing the season into 2021 and having like what a, a February to May football season, player health would have to enter the conversation. And I don't think player health is high enough on the list of priorities right now when talking about playing it two college football seasons in one calendar year. Because if you push the year, if you push the, the season into 2021, whenever that may start, you're playing 24 games in one calendar year at a bare minimum. And that's not talking about the teams that would play for the national championship. So they'd be playing, what, 16 games, 15 games. Um, I, I just think, like, because they're not going to want to push the 2021 season back. They're not going to want to mess things up further down the road. I think it would be, I think what we need to kind of do is just get in what we can get in in 2020, cut your losses and get ready for 2021. Because if you start messing around with pushing schedules back too far into the future, you're going to get to a point where it's like, okay, at, you know, now, next year or the following year, these guys are going to have to play a lot of football games in a short amount of time. And from a, a health standpoint, from a player health standpoint, I don't think that's fair. I think you'd be putting a lot of burden on these guys' shoulders. I think you'd be putting um, – I, I just think you'd be putting them in a, in a really tough spot. Guys would be – guys would be really susceptible to injury, especially, you know, if you play – if you played February through May – and then you took a break for the summer and then you came back to start the regular at the regular time for the 2021 season, you're not giving guys much of a chance to recover. You're not giving guys who had suffered injuries much of a chance to recover. They're not going to be able to play the 2021 season probably. I just feel like it's not fair to the players to ask them to do that, to put that much on their plate in one calendar season. I, I, I really feel like we – are getting to a point where it's just like, okay, we just need to get in what we can in this 2020 season. Like I said, cut losses and then get ready for 2021. And it kind of feels like that's what athletic directors are already. They're kind of approaching that mindset when you hear people talk about how like we need to get to a place where somebody testing positive and a player getting sick isn't going to shut everything down. I think they're kind of trending in that direction of like, mm -hmm. 
you know, we just have to get through this year so that we're not wrecking schedules for the next five years. I totally agree with, I believe everything you just said, because I think that what ends up happening is, is, you know, you talked about kind of the ripple effect, like the ripple effect of having this season go like into 2021 and you're still playing the 2020 season um there are just enormous like and i don't know i think the the player safety concerns i think are right up there um in the on my list of concerns because you you mentioned like you know a guy gets hurt could potentially really miss the 2020 and the 2021 season and that and i think that that would could be not common around the country where you would have every team have someone in that scenario, but you would have, I think enough that you would feel that and see a difference. Right. Um, and then, you, you know, you start to think about like what coaches lives would be like to have to go through that. Like, and you think about that, like outside of just the physical aspect for players, you think about them trying to go through school, and then also do all of these things where you're basically playing two seasons while also doing that. Plus, if you go on the other side where, you know, if you lose this season for 2020 or, you know, you end up having to bleed over, like your eligibility questions start to become a thing. And now if you start to go into having the season bleed over, it really fundamentally changes what a guy's college experience would have been like. And, and I get it. It would be across the board. Um but you also don't want to put guys in those unfair situations as well. It would just be a nightmare to, I think, to really have that um, bleed over. And I, I'm with you on, I think the line, is, it has to be, we're just going to get in what we can in 2020, try to chart the best path forward and, and see what happens. But I also think that we are, I, I think, increasingly getting to a point to where uh, I, and I don't think an athletic director is going to come out and just say this or a conference commissioner, but that, yeah, if someone gets sick, they're going to get sick and we are trying to do our best to prevent that. Um, but that's not stopping this train. Like we're going to keep this thing rolling because of all of the other ripple effects that happen. Um, I just don't think that, you know, we should all be mentally prepared for a, a few cases on a, on a team, even if the team then has to separate from that person in quarantine, um, the way it's looking right now is, is going to actually shut things down. I now I understand that Mike Gundy was raked over the coals for talking about how like recruits or not recruits, but college football players were important to the economies of the States. <laughs> that was why he got blasted yeah. rightfully. So, it is ironic, though, that the tenor of his comments basically being like, well, they're young. If they get sick, they're going to recover. They're going to get over it. We can't let that shut everything down. That, he, him having said that months ago and gotten blasted for it, to, for that to be kind of the, the mindset that we're turning towards right now, I think is ironic. It, it is it is definitely ironic. I just think that you know, my dad used to say this to me all the time, that there's a way to say anything to anyone. You just have to phrase it right. Um, and I fully believe in that. And I think that Gundy was bitten by that. I just don't think that and his timing. Like, because a lot of the things that commissioners, athletic directors are saying now across sports sound a lot like what Gundy is saying. They're just saying it in a nicer way. Well, you can also say... Uh, these kids are young and they're healthy and they're going to recover if they get sick and you don't have to include the they're important to the economy part. That's kind of like right. th that's that 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 can be left unsaid. And it's I mean, everybody knows that it's true based on I mean, you listen to Scott Frost on Sports Nightly talk about how, um, you know, 
a college football season is bigger than just playing football games because there are businesses in Lincoln that would shut down without it. Well, the lifeblood of a college football season is players. Like everybody right. knows that it's true that these these kids, for all intents and purposes, who don't have a union are funding billion dollar industries around the country. Like it just doesn't need to be said because yeah, then you get totally blasted agree. for it. Like I need to. Yeah, totally agree. If there was a conference only schedule, if they took the non-conference games off the schedule and then they decided we still want to have 12 games and they played regionally, Greg, who around Nebraska would you want to see the Huskers play? South Dakota State might be able to stay on the schedule in that scenario and then you would add two more. Who would you want to see Nebraska play? Man. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I would like to could can I get Colorado back on the schedule and can because <laughs> Nebraska can try and get some revenge there. Um, and then maybe Kansas State. Kansas State would be really intriguing. Um, those would be a couple that that really come to mind uh, right away. Bring less miles to to Lincoln. That would that he was here. He, he, was, he was here for that satellite camp or yeah, that satellite would, camp, the, the big man camp. Would Kansas be opposed to coming? Probably not. Probably not. And maybe you, do you, would you have to do, see, this is where it's so wonky with college football. Would you have to do a home and home in those scenarios? Because the one team, the team that travels would want, uh, probably want a return date in return, right? Would they? Or would they make a one time exception? And like we just find a fair way to do it, we flip coins to see who gets the home game. I don't know. Because if you're taking if you're taking a pay for play game off of a power five team schedule and then you're rescheduling that game with a, a like a regional opponent, somebody that's close to them and they just happen to be a power five, like that might be a win win, right? Because you're not have <clears throat> I would assume that the the contracts for those pay for play games would become null and void. Like I wouldn't imagine that Nebraska would be would have its feet held to the fire to pay South Dakota State when that game got canceled, if that game got canceled. So if if you're a Power Five team and you suddenly don't have to pay like eight hundred thousand dollars to somebody, and then you're getting a you're getting that game replaced with a Power Five game that you can, I guess hype up more maybe i mean i don't know i don't know the fans are going to be in the stands or fans will be full capacity so you might not be able to you know experience a, a ticket revenue bump off of that but maybe that's like i guess maybe that makes up for it and maybe that that's their way around scheduling a home and home in the future i don't know i mean schedules are set for like the next five years i don't know that you'd be able to schedule a home and home yeah, that would it would be tough unless you're just trying to push the you push it out to 2030 like they do in some cases and be like, hey, you know, and then in 2030, we're like, hey, remember that time when we had that COVID and, and we had to make that game up? So <laughs> so maybe. But I but when you're talking there, it reminded me of something that I, I wanted to ask you. I know you asked the questions, but I'm going to ask you what um, the whole like fans and stands reduced capacity thing that has kind of been floated about this week. Um, and I think Gene Smith from Ohio state mentioned that about what is it? 25 to 40,000 fans that could be at Ohio stadium this year. What, what are your thoughts on that versus playing, you know, in empty stadiums? I think it's stupid to have people in the stands because if you have, you know, I was listening to the, 
the the mayor of Norman talk about this, and she talked about how like seventy thousand fans in a football stadium is terrifying to her, but also seventy thousand fans around a football stadium tailgating is also terrifying yeah. to her. If you open it up to twenty thousand fans, like if twenty thousand fans are allowed to come, there's still going to be eighty thousand people in Lincoln and down around the football stadium because there's going to be a large percentage of people that want to that are either going to scalp tickets or going to be looking for tickets and they're going to come be on, on the off chance that they can get tickets and they can get in because now that they're not allowed they're going to want to be there right i just 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 close it off tell everybody to stay home like yeah there's going to be a lot of money lost but from a public health standpoint like i feel like having people in the stands even in a reduced capacity is is asking for a problem you're asking for trouble because those people are still going to be i mean like i know nebraska doesn't sell alcohol but consider some of the schools around the big ten that sell alcohol you really think people are going to be following social distancing after like their fifth or sixth beer when their team is losing like no those people are going to be clustering together down at the bottom i just don't know how you would police it yeah i think that the the and i can't remember the first time it's been a couple of weeks now i saw somebody mention the tailgating aspect and i cannot get that out of my mind um after after seeing that initially like i just it's not even yeah it is partially having fans in the actual stands but the tailgating before in which people are drinking and there's no way to police what they're doing to then have them come into the stadium or have a portion like if you've got 20 people at your tailgate maybe not all 20 of those people have tickets maybe only half of them do but maybe you would still have 20 people at that tailgate come down just because they just want to experience um something close to a tailgate but i'm just trying to picture too like i wonder what like what the rail yard would look like in either scenario come like for a husker saturday game day saturday for this coming season like if you have no fans out there are you then still allowed i would assume you would be to like go to bars and go to places like that where you could go and hang out for games so would that make people more likely to do that and then is that a nightmare uh, scenario to deal with as well just on that portion of it now that doesn't bleed into the stadium because then you know there's no one in there and you don't have fans but I think that either way, like there are still some things that are, are public health um, disasters waiting to happen um, around. And it's not just necessarily unique to college football. It's an NFL thing as well um, that that would just MLB, too, where it would just be kind of tough to police. And, and you're just kind of crossing your fingers. So I ran this poll a couple of weeks ago and asked if if I, I asked people if fans were not allowed in the stands, if they would still come to. Lincoln or still come to the Haymarket and something like 70% of people said no that they wouldn't come. I feel like if you opened it up and there was let's let's just say 20,000 fans allowed. Like your your scenario you're talking about with the tailgate where you have 20 people at a tailgating party and five of them get to go to the stadium. Mm-hmm. Those 15 people aren't going home. They're going right. to stay there and they're going to continue tailgating. I mean like I I think about you know when we're walking to the stadium on a game day and we see all the people that have you know there's 25 people um kind of grouped around an rv or around a truck that has a tv set up in the back of it like 
I feel like in most instances, not every single person that that group is going into the stadium. If they've got that TV set up, I feel like some of them are hanging back to watch the game. If you open it up and say there is going to be something of a game day atmosphere in people's minds, I feel like they would be more likely to come to Lincoln. I feel like they'd be more likely to tailgate. And then you just have, if not bigger groups, the same kinds of tailgating groups outside the stadium and people hanging out in in close proximity to each other throughout the game and then you know you're kind of defeating the point of of social distancing within the stadium because if you're allowing fans in but you're doing it in a limited capacity you're doing so to make some money but also to say like hey we have the public health uh interest at the forefront when you really don't i feel like the only way to really kind of safeguard against large amounts of people getting sick or potentially getting sick or putting themselves at risk is to just not let anybody into the stadium. It just has to, I I think it just has to be closed off and essential personnel only. Yeah. And the, and the thing too, um, that will also impact this. And now we're, we're deep into the weeds, but like how a team season is going would kind of impact that too. I believe, like, I think that in, in this time, if your team gets off to an 0 and 3 start, like you might stop really wanting to go do those tailgates and take the risk because now your risk isn't, um, you don't see the benefit for doing it, even though there's diehard fans, I guess, of every team out there. Um, but on the flip side, like, let's say that this would be kind of a bad scenario for Nebraska and would be just Nebraska's luck. But what if under all of these circumstances, this is the like the magical mythical season that we talk about, like Nebraska never having where they go on this crazy run. Um, could you imagine how like upset, how excited but upset fans would be about the the scenario in which, you know, the team is winning under? Like it, it would just be really odd. Like there's just a lot of things um, that go into play with that. But I, I, th- I think I agree with you that just to be cautious and for the best, like overall public health interest, it almost feels like you can't have fans in the stands at all. Yeah. Yeah. There would be riots outside if like an undefeated Nebraska was playing a one or two loss Minnesota team in the final game of the season for the big 10, right. Big 10 West title. And fans weren't allowed in, there would be riots in the streets. Man, now I kind of want to see what that would be like. (laughs) Agent of chaos over there. (laughs) Anything else that kind of jumps to your mind talking about all these what ifs, Greg? There's, there's, There's a lot of stuff. I feel like we've run through a lot of stuff in 30 minutes. Which which inevitably means that once we get done talking, there'll be some rules that come out and it won't be any of the things we discuss. Yeah, probably. I, I don't remember where I saw this, but I saw. I think it was oh, I think it was in the athletics. Somebody asked Stuart Mandel about Scott Frost being on the hot seat if Nebraska doesn't make a bowl game this year. What did you think of that? I do, I have mixed feelings because I I don't hot seat is probably too strong. I think that there would be louder legitimate questions about the direction of the program. 
I think that you, I don't think that Nebraska has to break through in a nine win or 10 win season this year. Uh, but they do need to show, show significant progress um, from where they've been. Otherwise you're going to have some legitimate questions about whether or not, then you start, then you know what you get, you get those weird stats, right? Where they'll be like, Hey, no coach in the history of the big 10 has ever had three losing seasons to start their career and then bounce back to win a conference championship. Like I'm making that up, but it'll be stuff like that, that ends up coming out. And then you'll have real questions about the direction of the program, because you'll also have a majority of kind of frost recruits or guys that he inherited that they've now coached for multiple seasons. Um, but I don't think that it would necessarily be a hot seat. I don't think that we'd be asking Bill Moose um, whether or not he was considering replacing him. You want to hear something wild? Nebraska sure. needs to win 11 games this season for Scott Frost to have a better record after three years than Mike Riley had after his three years. And there's one of those wild stats. See? Yep, they'd have to win 11 games, if my math is correct. Because Riley won 19 and Frost is at nine. That 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 is hard. That would be hard to explain, especially from the outside looking in at the program. For those folks that you know, we talk about national people just kind of doing drive-bys of the program and at a, at a you know ten thousand foot view, it would be hard to explain that if, if you were looking at it from that point of view. Yeah, especially when because they would be looking at the the top 25 recruiting classes that Frost has brought in. Right. And the uh, AP freshman All-American quarterback that they had in his first year. Yeah. Yeah, that would not be good. Another doomsday scenario. I'm I'm not so much looking forward to that one, though. I am an agent of chaos in most instances, but not not with this. That would that would make life very tough around here. Yeah, I don't know that. I don't think anybody is necessarily hoping that happens if you're involved um, in any capacity with the team, because that would get. Yeah, there would be all sorts of just really bad things um, that would come from that. Uh, and like whether or not you mentioned Adrian, whether or not that means because if you have another losing season, but you had a third year starting quarterback that means serious regression for him um, that means a lot of misevaluations a lot of non-development like it, it would just be really really tough well I think if I remember correctly this was also in the mailbag somebody was asking about the defense and I said that the the offense is going to have to carry the defense this year and I'm trying to remember what the question was. Like, I, I like, yeah, because if if they have another losing season, it's because the offense didn't take a big enough step forward to kind of counter the defense taking what every, I, I expect. I, I guess I can't say everyone, but what I expect to be a step back. And if the offense doesn't take a step forward, like, Right or wrong, that'll get placed at the feet of Adrian Martinez. And then you have a really interesting man. I, so I, yeah, it does. So I, I, I am curious on the, and I know that this is the general consensus that the defense will take a step back. This is where the loss of the spring really hurts because I think that the people's feelings about the defense would have been, could have been dramatically changed if, say, you go through the spring 
in which Frost, Shenander, and Tuioti are all talking about how well the defensive line is doing through the spring, right? Because I, I feel like that's the key because of who they lost up front. Um, because I think that you can, at least maybe for me, I think you can talk yourself into the back seven of the defense being pretty good, but it all depends on what happens up front. Because that would then cause a snowball effect for everyone, um, whether or not you're talking about guys getting blasted off the line and, and run plays or if they can't get off of blocks um, and pass plays because eventually the secondary will wear down. Yeah, I, I mean, the the secondary should be the strength of the team. The secondary is going to be pretty good, probably, but it doesn't really matter how good your cornerbacks are if they, you know, have to play in coverage for five seconds, six, seven seconds, like. No one's great in those scenarios when you don't have a pass rush. And Nebraska, against the run, they've been bottom 30 in yards per carry allowed nationally in three straight years. It you know it doesn't matter. it doesn't matter how good of a pass defense you have if teams don't have to throw the ball against you. Right. Yeah, I'm just like that is to me. Like there'll be excitement once we get there. There will be a lot of excitement about the offense and what they could do. I, I, but if I could go to practices and just watch one side of the ball, it would be the defense at this point, um, because I'm just so fascinated to see what happens with that defensive line. Because I think that in a lot of ways that holds the key to what happens with Nebraska. To me, right along what I feel like we talked about last week, which is which Adrian Martinez we get. Yeah. If Nebraska has a losing season, like if Nebraska doesn't hit 11 wins and Scott Frost has a worse record after three years than Mike Riley had after three years at Nebraska, like it, it will be a it will be dark days for the uh, coalition of, of context, people that enjoy <laughs> just like coming in and taking a snapshot of a team and then making assumptions without any context like those people would be having a field day. I don't think Frost should be on the hot seat regardless of what happens this season. Now, unless, you know, they don't win a single game, then we can have a conversation. Yeah, but two like, wins. Yeah, like like everything that's going on with the pandemic and then adding to that their schedule and the, the losses on defense. And um, I, I they'll get a pass for this year. I feel like they'll get a pass for this year. But, you know, moving forward, it'll be. It, it won't be the case anymore. Like if there's another losing season this year, it it becomes okay. You have to have something significant in year four, otherwise you're in trouble. Right. We're still a long ways away from that conversation, though. Um, yeah, Greg, I'm sure you've got work to do. Um, thank you for for coming on the podcast and talking hypotheticals for 45 minutes. Uh, no problem. I am here for you. I thank you for having me. <laughs> we will be back next week with another podcast. Make sure you read HaleVarsity.com. In the meantime, I said from the jump, Big Red Recon was posted. Um, we're recording this on a Friday morning, getting close to Friday afternoon. Big Red Recon was posted this morning. Um, a new Greg's Guys is out. You can read that. Jacob Padilla has some stuff on Husker Volleyball. And uh, we will continue to have football news as it as it comes out it seems like everything is changing day to day so we'll we'll try to keep you updated and we'll be back next week with another podcast thanks guys